Friendshupiter Networks presents Sagas of the Blank Page, a live play podcast featuring the Visor role-playing system. Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to part two of our four-part series of Dead West 1870. I'm your host, Crenshaw. This is Crenshupiter Networks. As the camera fades back in from black, we are inside of what looks like a government building, almost like a, a, a wooden courtroom. And there is no judge, there's no jury, there's just a couple gentlemen dressed in very sharp, tidy black suits. And they're sitting at a table where the defendants would be sitting next to each other with a file folder. And there's another seat which it's back to the judge that is empty and the door opens and in enters Dr. Jack Middleton. Okay. So, uh, so Jack enters and he, um, he, he looks around this room and it, I think it, at first he's, he's a little confused about what to do. So he, he reaches into his, uh, into his trench coat and just reads through the, um, the letter he was sent again. And um, and then sort of almost like tentatively approaches the uh, the people sitting at the table and and says, uh, "My name's Jack Middleton. I I have an offer of employment from you." Yes, we have been expecting you. Have a seat, sir. Uh, that seat right there will be fine if you'd like to just sit right there. He sits and sort of hands in his lap and looks expectant. The two gentlemen look you over. They check out the alignment of your buttons. They look at the the crispness of the fold of your jacket. They look and see if you're dusty. And, and how waxed your mustache is or is not, depending on your, your hair style. Could you describe to me what you're coif and what you're wearing? Yeah, so have I just got off the coach or not? I think you've been off the coach. You have had a night in the hotel. So yeah. this, would have, this would be early in the morning, probably about 10 a.m. So, like, he's done his best, but, um, but honestly, most of his attention has gone on the equipment. So the first thing he did this morning was, was get up, fix the equipment, so, you know, he, he has a shirt. He's run an iron over it, but it's not perfect. He has a slightly crumpled suit, which he left hanging overnight. But, you know, it's pretty much just out of his luggage. But no, at the moment, he's, he's a little rumpled. And I think he's actually, you know, he spent a lot of time fixing this equipment. Um, and just sort of starting to, you know, realising realize that, you know, a couple of vacuum tubes were broken, starting to fix those things. He's, he's a bit hurried and rushed at the moment. All right. So... The one gentleman that had initialized the conversation raises his eyebrow and then stands and turns. They both stand and almost like with military precision, they stick their hand out and he goes, um, Dr. Middleton, I am Sinclair Chaplin and this is my associate Francis Lister. And thank you very much for, uh, for meeting us here. And he sticks his hand out to shake your hand. Mr. Chaplin, it's a it's a pleasure to meet you. I, I always wondered how did you how did you get my name? How did you know to write to me? Well, we were doing a a DARPA contingency with uh, a number of the medical laboratories and medical suppliers in New York, and your name showed up on a lot of lists, shall we say? Well, just because I've ordered equipment, I would think that's all I've done. That's that's great, Doc. Let's just move on from here. So, look. Um, this folder here in front of me is for you. And he slides this probably about a half inch thick folder across the table to you. He then reaches down between the two of them and brings up the leather satchel. Looks like almost like a doctor's bag. It is actually a doctor's bag, but not a very big one. Um, and he leans forward and opens it. 
and starts pulling out a passport. He pulls out a bunch of money. He pulls out a pistol and starts laying all of this stuff out of in front of you, militarily organized in a complete row between you and him in front of him and is watching you as he's putting this out in front of you. Well, this is kind of you, but I, I will have no need of a pistol. I, I'm a doctor. Uh, doctor, would you just mind looking into that folder I just handed you while I finish putting out the equipment, please? I do that. Thank you, sir. Out of the corner of your eye, Graham, you see him lean kind of back over to, to Francis and whispers under his breath. Give me a roll to see if you notice what he says. Why don't you give me a... Give me a brain power roll, or if you have a skill that might help you, or a piece of equipment that might help you overhear this conversation. Um, I, I don't have any scores at the moment. What should I do about that? All right, well, let's start with brain power. Brain power is basically your intelligence, how smart this guy is. I'd say Einstein is rolling in about a 70. Most people are between 45 and 50. Sure. Well, let's, uh, let's put him, should, should we do 60? I think he's a bright guy. I might venture a little bit higher. I might say 65. Sure, sure. All right, so write 65. That'd be great. Okay, so am I rolling under 65? Yes, roll percentile, and you're trying to roll 65. Anything under and 65 is amazing. I've got 70. 70, 70. Yeah. That is a miss by five. So now we move on to your influence cards and your resources. At the bottom of your character sheet, you have three slots for things that you have either a memory, it could be a saying, it could be a piece of equipment, it could be a locket, like Joanna's character. Anything that you feel that would fit your character, you can put there. Maybe there's a watch that his father gave him, a pocket watch that he always keeps his hand on and you know somehow helps him to focus. Think about if there's anything that you might used to affect your role and succeed, or you can choose to fail and not overhear the conversation. Do you know, I'm, I'm tempted to fail just because I, I think this guy's a bit oblivious. I mean, it depends on you. Do you want me to overhear it? Let's do this. Let's give me a brain power roll because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you into the next scene. So uh, give me a brain power roll again. One more time, right. please. 68. So you missed it again? I did. Perfect. Do you want to miss it or do you want to try to catch it? Because this would be great if you missed it. <laughs> okay, sure. I'll miss it. This sounds great. So you flip open the top of the folder and you're looking at uh, Sinclair and don't even notice what's open below you. And suddenly your peripheral vision suddenly snaps your brain out of everything and you look down and what you see is that image again we see we saw earlier drawn from piece of paper with uh, Dr. Henry Hawkins's notebook. Now we see a black and white photograph of the same exact moment. This time it's very sepia toned. The images curled. The, the photograph itself looks like it's an original photograph. A silver retention. You can see the silver as your eyes look down, the camera has this amazing effect of like oil on water as the silver reflects. And, and we actually hear for a moment as you're looking down, oh, do you have a LAN or luck? I, this is a good one. Um, I think he might have a LAN because I mean- I we're... think he would too. Yeah, yeah. Especially if he's dealing with ghost rock, which is that magical 
stone that makes all your weirdness work. Yeah, because I think we're like at the stage where um, like you can be into science, but into weird science. So just because you're into science doesn't mean you're, you don't like the supernatural. So yeah, yeah, let's, let's have them have a lamp. All right, great. And again, you can pick that stat as uh, the higher your stat, the more in tuned to the effluvia, if you will, you are. I don't think he's very in tune. So did you say 50 was average? 50 is average. Joanne, so him- what were you, what yours, you came in at around 32, 35? I, I picked 30. Okay. Cool. I'm, I'm going to give him a 40. I think he's, he's, he's learning. Do you know what I mean? He's yes. just coming to terms with this, but he's not That's there yet. That's fair. So please give me a roll on a land. So I want to see how far into this photograph you're going to fall. 48. Mm, so you missed it by eight. Do you want to miss it again, my friend, and see what's behind door number two? <laughs> oh, my God, yes, I do. <laughs> All right. So the camera is your POV, and we see you sitting there, and we see you looking at him, and the, the video and audio does that time ramp. So he's like, I just wish you would just read the And he slows down, and your eyes start to track downward as, that, as time starts to fall. And as you look down, this black and white photograph, the borders of it expand, and you start falling and collapsing like all of the spine that you had at one point disc by disc is being pulled away from you and your body is actually foreshortening into the frame as it grows and you drop and you hear screaming and the shouts, sounds of gunfire. And we're now on this massive battlefield and you look down and you look up and you're standing, you are now standing like you just fell out of that chair in the middle of this battlefield, just chaos in every direction. And in front of you is a pile of dead soldiers and there's this glowing mist colored object this almost like this ghostly jellyfish that has all of these tendrils wrapped down around the body parts and limbs and in through the wound holes of all of these bodies and it's pulsating and the pile of bodies is actually rhythmically pulsing with the form of this thing as you're standing there on this battlefield. I'd like you to make me a stability roll, and I know you don't have a number in that either. So this is a a value of basically how mentally stable you are if you were suddenly thrown in the middle of a battlefield with an octopus. Hmm. All right, I mean, he's he's average. I, I, uh, 55, he's kind of quite a, well, actually, that particular situation he'd be good at. Okay. The unusual and unusual. All right. Yeah, I, dead bodies. I wonder too. He has probably been the, in the operating theater before. Yes. As well. So maybe a little higher, Graham. Should we do a sixty? That sounds fair. Right. So if you could give me a stability roll, please, and let's go four for four. <laughs> Fifty-four, and I've made it this time. Oh, excellent! So you have full control now over the situation. If you had failed. You, we would have talked about one of your greatest fears and we would have role-played you to hide under a tree, but there are no trees. And so you're standing now on basically this blasted heath. Please take us away, sir. So I, I actually love the idea that he looks at this thing and actually his first reaction is just to be grimly fascinated with it. It's like he knows he should run, right? Um, but he looks at this thing and it's stunning. It's this 
incredible life form he's never seen before. So can he kind of um, step towards it? And I, I kind of think he'd like to, he just wants to study it and study exactly where the tendrils are going. What's he do? What are these tendrils doing? What's happening? That's what he'd like to know. As you step closer, it, it for just a moment, it shies away and pulls the meat of the bodies, kind of dragging it away from you like you're a predator trying to come toward its meal. But then it's, as you stop, it stops. And as you kind of lean in and look closer, where each of these tendrils has slid into an, excuse my French, an orifice or a, or a wound hole or some part of the body that it has penetrated, there is this kind of liquid conveyance along the tubulances of its tentacles in this rhythmic pattern, pulling what looks like these bubbles of something, the same viscous, hazy, ghostly shimmering. And you're right, it is beautiful, and it's radiantly glowing in the middle of this darkened battlefield. And it's as it's pulsing, the light is kind of undulating with it. And there's this, and, and as soon as you got closer, there's this cackling of ions around you the closer you get to it. That's amazing. And then I think he would collect himself and go, and then he'll kind of step away and go, actually, no, this is really dangerous. And I think at that point he would, he would run. Not, not like in abject fear, but just he knows he has to run. You turn and stop and one of your feet is not moving. And you look down and notice a tentacle from it has come up out of the mud and has wrapped around your ankle as you look down. That's cool. Can I have the revolver? You look down and you have literally nothing in your hands. Okay, so there's no way that I could have, in retrospect, grabbed the revolver before I fell? No. Uh, okay. Um, because literally you failed twice looking at him and you looked down and boom, you were in, baby. Okay. Okay. Um, so I have, I have nothing equipment, right? You have wise. nothing. Um, oh, this is really grim, but can I do this? Can I, can I kind of reach down really, really, really slowly as if not to disturb the creature, unpeel the tentacle and just kind of clip it to a corpse instead? Almost though I'm hoping the creature won't notice. So, as you reach down for the tentacles, as you reach down, there's this sound behind you of a, like an inhale of air and the thickness of the tentacle widens around your ankle, pulsing at, as you get closer to it. And as, you get, as your hands get closer to it, it starts tightening and constricting around your ankle and you can feel suddenly muscles separating and you can feel it digging toward your bone as you start frantically trying to reach for it. Uh, give me another stability roll, please. Actually, a half stability roll, please. I have exactly made my half stability roll, so 25. Oh, man. This is tearing at you. It is going to destroy your body if you do not get this off you, and you need to get it off now. Yeah, cool. All right, so, so, uh, so he realizes that, and he, he takes it off. Uh, he pulls it off quickly. You grab it. And as you grab it, there's burning in your hands and in your ankle, and suddenly you are overwhelmingly just burned, almost like 
a fire was lit at your ankle, there's this sensation of your body being turned instantly into ash and it tears from your ankle up your body and the camera pulls back and we actually see you turn to ash. Then the camera pulls back, there's a jump cut and you sit up in the carriage and look down and there is a little dog that's in the carriage that has bitten your pant leg and is like pulling your pant leg and shaking your pant leg as you look down. You awake screaming in the carriage. That's good with me. Um, did you want a response or were you going to end the scene there? I, I just let you go ahead and finish the rest of the scene. I think you can take us out so, of this. Fade to black for so me. So actually, can you... Can he not kind of wake up screaming? He's going to going to wake up with like oh, sure. a gasp, but then there'll kind of be this that's true. Of, you made your half yeah. stability, so you can take this however you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he'll wake up with a gasp, and there's something in his eyes which he's both terrified but slightly weirdly delighted that he's sort of seen something he hadn't seen before. Okay. Um, the dog is snarling, the tiny black and white dog is snarling as it's trying to pull your pant leg away. And the camera, oh, yeah, yeah. the camera kind of falls out through the window and watches the carriage. And now the camera kind of moves in an upward direction and we see a wooden sign that says, Welcome to Eli, Nevada. And we now see the, the town as the carriage rolls into town and we see the expanse of like, the 10 building town and at the far end of town as the carriage clears the frame the biggest thing at the end of the of the street is the church and standing in the front of the church we see sarah finishing up laundry for the morning hi Hi, are we on to me? <laughs> we're on. We're back to you. Ooh. It's the next morning. Are you okay? <laughs> I just got a big go sign from, from a doorway. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, I have the basket. It is overflowing with freshly scrubbed laundry. I've uh, and about to kind of hang it up as best I can. I feel we have this little network of of clotheslines that probably kind of they're off to the side of the church. Can't have it in front. Don't want to block any sort of walkway into the church in any sort of way. I think I accidentally did that once and got a severe ear boxing or whatever. <laughs> so I uh, I've I've there's so much washing so i've uh there is this sort of little maze of of uh clotheslines to one side of the church and i'm out there and i'm pinning 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 shirts pinning sheets pinning trousers everything is going up into the sunshine to hopefully dry so i can do it all over again would you please, as you're doing this, 
and it's a beautiful mm -hmm. scene. I see the camera kind of moving between these beautiful clothesline sheets and, and yeah, and they're kind of swaying and you're moving down and then down another row and we're kind of following you down, kind of like playfully dancing because this is a joy because you're not being hounded and you're, you're cocooned <laughs> in these white sheets and this, you know, and it's beautiful sunlight. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, please, can I have an Alan, uh, an Alan roll from you? Great. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean the best to you about that. Well, I have succeeded. I have rolled 10. <laughs> All right. So you hear the whisper of the voice again. Oh. He's coming from behind you. I, I, I spin around. Um, and just for a moment, from our camera view, as you turn away from camera, the sheet forms a body, like there's a body underneath the sheet. Mm -hmm. And then the sheet, as, it's, as the body moves, is revealed and there's nothing there. And you hear it behind you again, and you turn back to camera, and there's nothing behind you. I, I'm a little shaken because that's, but there was definitely something there. Hello? Hello? And I start, I'm going to start backtracking through my little maze of, uh, of, of sheets. Okay. Um, the camera kind of does that, that dilation where, where the far ground moves toward us, but mm -hmm. the foreshortening of it kind of par parallaxes the scene. And as you're dancing away from camera, the two sheets, like two bodies, mm -hmm. come and try to grab you. The sheets try to grab at you as you pass mm -hmm. through it. And the camera dashes around it. And so we dance behind you as these silhouette forms try to grab, yes, try to grab at you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am now running, and I'm not, I had been careful about right. the clean washing. <laughs> right. Now not so careful. Right. Now I am going out. But my goal is basically front of the church, Yep. out of my maze, and if that means I have to accidentally tear down some washing, it's coming down. I'm going straight. Straight line. Right. Great. So there's a camera angle as you look around and remember that you're in the churchyard. But when you look up to where the top of the church should be, all you see is the continuation of the sky in all directions. And suddenly you turn and look and you now see that you're standing in the middle of a maze that's made up of these clotheslines. And as you look, we actually see the clothesline maze build itself away from you in all directions. And suddenly you're standing there looking around and the camera does this move for just a second where it looks, it pans up your body and then spins up and we pull back and we see now this, this giant like image of a maze and just inside we see you standing looking around and then we cut back down to you and you're back in the yard. Mm -hmm. All right, so take a deep breath kind of refocusing am i am i now am i out of my little warren of 
clothesline? You're still, you haven't moved. There was just this <laughs> moment where the whole, like you just looked around and saw this maze be built around you and you, right, right. and you come back and you're back in the clotheslines and they're, they're swaying again, just like you were running through a moment ago. How quiet is it? All you hear is the sound of the wind and the sheets. Okay. It's very quiet. But, it, but it's sort of, it's a natural sound of wind and sheep. It is, but it's an unnaturally quiet end of town. Okay, okay, great. <laughs> I'll put it that way. It's almost a silent end of town, which it shouldn't be. <laughs> oh, great. Uh, I look up. Is, is, is there a church tower? There's not a church tower there. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great. We're R now. <laughs> Sorry. We're good. So, I okay. So, another deep breath in. I'm. I want to look under my laundry. Okay. And is there end to my laundry if I look if I like crouch down and look underneath everything you you look down and what you see is a set of feet uh about two rows over standing mm -hmm. and is obscured by the sheet mm -hmm. hanging right but I, I look shoes naked feet dirty yes Okay. Uh, I, I'm going to try and go over there. Okay. As you climb under, um, give, me a, give me a dexterity roll as you climb under. Right. Oh, that is a clear fail. Okay. I have rolled 90 against my 70 dexterity. Oh. So... As you are getting underneath, you still had your basket of laundry in your hand. Mm, you yeah, had forgotten know. that you had. So you suddenly are burdened with something you didn't expect you had. So as you go underneath, you, you, you awkwardly roll the basket, kind of falling onto it. And in an attempt to fall, keep yourself from falling, you reach up and grab the sheet above you. And as you do, it snaps off the line and falls down on top of you. And now we're inside under sheet cam, yeah, yeah which we've seen in commercials. Yeah. Right. And we see you struggling and we see the sheet start to tighten down tighter and tighter around you. And, and as you're fighting, it's getting harder and harder to move. All right. Uh, I'm going to start shouting. Okay. And, and really kind of uh, tearing at whatever's happening here. Give me one last Elan roll, please. Mm -hmm. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, no, 43. Out of 30? 30, yeah. All right. Boy, a lot of, a lot of botches today. That's, uh, <laughs> isn't that fun for, for the weird and wonderful West? <laughs> so as you um, feel this 
thing pulling at you, suddenly the whiteness becomes a flash and we see that you are, um, you, you are, we are seeing through your eyes and you are a soldier that has been shot and you are mm. bleeding out and there is this undulating white creature that's floating above you and mm. you can feel all of these fingers inside inside your your body cavity wrapped around your lung and you know and tiny spindles making wispets around your heart tightening down on your heart sucking your essence out of you and you're screaming and all of a sudden your eyes wake up and there's Edith shaking you because you're wrapped in a sheet going, Sarah, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you, young? Oh my goodness. Oh, what is wrong with you? Why are you screaming? Uh, sister, Sister Edith, I, 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 I just, I, I couldn't. It, it was, it was strangling, strangling. She slaps you. She, she slaps you. Settle, child. Recite, recite the words and center yourself. Yes, ma'am. And and I'll start whatever prayer. Our Father, <laughs> some dude in a cool place, <laughs> full of powers. Um, as you do the camera pulls back and as we pull down the street we see the chinaman that we saw earlier standing against one of the stores facing the church just kind of like the board and he's wearing the clothes that you changed him in the new clothes mm -hmm. from the day before and the camera turns and we see um, Dr. Henry Hawkins stepping off of the stagecoach that has just pulled into town. And there's this like big fluff of dust that circles and swirls. And of course, we paid for a tumbleweed. So we see a tumbleweed roll through uh, across in front of the tavern and the other five buildings. And we see the, do and we see the doctor standing there. Um, he has all his things he's neatly kept uh may i before you start may i yeah. ask you a question absolutely talk to me about it, how you would be reacting if there was a somewhat powerful psychic event happening close to your character would he notice it would he be aware of it would maybe a piece of his equipment or his magical books bubble would his is what, there something that would what his you know senses tingle if you will yeah so what i have for him is good luck charms now these good good luck charms for him happen to be a series of uh tattoos that he acquired throughout his travels some are tribal some all are meant for to be protection from the other world now you know you know, it's it's from a pygmy tribe down in wherever. It's it's from a part of Brazil, from some ancient medicine man. It's you know Navajo writings, you know, going across the back of the shoulders. So he's not, you know, with one particular theology, but he's a, a taken them all into account 
to kind of protect himself because just like the uh, incident that we just had with the uh, young Dr. Middleton, he's been there and it freaked him out. So, and with his more of experimentation, he's tr really, really tried to create a barrier to protect himself as much as he can before he probably goes kind of insane. So would you write down tattoos as, um, and I know it wouldn't be a skill, but would you write it in your skill area and give it a value or would you use it as a resource card and later? I have it as a resource card, but okay. I did give him a skill, just a little bit of magic. So would you can... please give me just a little bit of magic roll? Sure. Well named, sir. Just so I got a 39 out of 60. Okay. I don't know if I can change that up any. So I can make it 49 out of 60. I don't know if that that's makes... not really going to do much better. Okay. That's, yeah, save it for, Later. for for when I stick you in a weird dream. Um, nice. <laughs> um would you, uh, as you, as the doctor steps from the last step of the stagecoach onto the grounds of Eli, there is, um, the camera shot is super low to the ground. And just before his boot touches the ground, there's a, a visible spark that jumps between the ground and his boot. And we see on a jump cut back, we see the doctor kind of step back and you felt all of your, all of your tats, all of your, you felt all of your tattoos kind of like like ripple, and you felt like the Navajo protection spell across your back go. Um, that was a level 1.1 attack. You've been <laughs> safe, thanks to Navajo tattoo technology. Um, you kind of felt that, that pulse across the heat across the back of your shoulders with that pulse of your defenses kicking in. Okay. And, and, and give me a... a, a a half brain power roll, please. Oh, good lord. Um, no, no, sir. No, that is a 90. Um, yeah, no, that kind of just, I wasn't expecting it. No, you weren't. Um, and I think I'll just take the fail. Okay. So you kind of have this moment when you step down and you've, you felt this before you, when you were out in California, um, looking out at what has become the coastline are all these like tiny little, even smaller little islands of what hard granite and, and heavier foundation stone kind of shifted in the plate tectonics. And there was this feeling of just, like waves of darkness kind of coming off the California coast. And so leaving that, you were like, oh, that's so wonderful. I'm not experiencing that. And now when you stepped off, it kind of felt like that wave, like a splash of it kind of slapped you and took you off your feet and stumbled you a little bit. Um, just as the coachman is tossing off the rest of your bags to you. Uh, believe it or not, he has really only the one bag. Um, oh. He travels very light. He's in a, what you would call like a, uh, a frock coat, a, light, a nice hunter green, very well-kempt, um, you know, golden buttons, the little uh, pocket watch going off to the side, the upturned stiff collar with like a, uh, I don't know what they call it, like the cummerbund maybe? No, that goes around your waist, but up around the neck there with like a, a cloak pin in it, so to speak. And again, these are Bring all an ascot. Yeah, let's, an ascot. Let's, let's throw down, buddy. Yeah, yeah, it's an ascot. So, <laughs> uh, what they all really are, though, are Crifide. talismans. Yeah, they're they're all 
talismans. And if someone were to really sit there and look at them, um, they would start to question him more and more and more. So as the camera is, is, is focusing on you and, you, and, we, and we see you kind of resettling from the spark, we see you touching your talismans, like checking to make sure that everything's not, like yeah. nothing's on fire, nothing's exploded, you know, nothing's like, turned to dust. Like a worry stone. You're just kind of, you know, holding it in your hand and looking around trying to see, you know, what sparked that, so to speak. When you go to reach down, you find that there is a very cold and very thin hand already on it, and your hand touches it. Uh, hello there. Oh, oh, and all of a sudden, uh, a young lady pulls her hand away from it, and she wraps a hand around your waist, and this beautiful young girl, like, pulls herself around you and spins around and says, you're awful new to town. There's not a lick of dirt on you. <laughs> you just need to look a little closer, but thank you. Well, if you need, I could lick some dirt. I mean, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and there we go with the R rating again. <laughs> uh, this is where we edited the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, you are now surrounded by three young women who have mysteriously almost floated Dalek-like out of the, of the saloon and have appeared around you, and they're circling you in this triangle and they're you know and as you're trying to keep your wallet and your your <laughs> goods and they're that. just rotating and they're all trying desperately to pick your pockets and and entice you to go back with them into their and and, and where where are you ladies um coming from oh darling right over here at the saloon is, is that where I would find a good room for the night? So to It's speak? the only one in town, darling. Okay. Well, I, I will see you all there tonight. <gasps> oh. Drink on me, but I have some business to attend to. Well, you take care of that, and we'll be waiting downstairs. Oh, okay. <laughs> Come on, Victoria. Come on, Phoebe. Let's go. And they kind of float over the mud and dirt of the street back into the inn. And they're all bubbling. And, and the one's like, he smells so fresh. Oh, he's so clean. <laughs> clean is, yeah. Relative to the Old West, clean is, uh, yep. Yeah. Um, give me another brain power, please. Oh, dear God. <laughs> I got a five. Okay. Um, the, the, again, your spidey land spike spicy no your spicy land senses tingle i i kind of do the hot cold warm cold and kind of you see him do this weird stepping as he's trying to step more towards it and then as it's getting stronger he's going more and more to the strongest spot so it seems out of place for if most people were watching him, which yes. they probably are. Yes. Can I? Can I? Can he's I put, a fancy can, man, so it doesn't matter. Can I put a thought to it? Sure. Um, a little bit like a uh, a a a cross between a kata and a ritualistic dance maneuver or a, or a dance move there's a, you're almost boot scoot and boogieing in the middle of the street so what 
how, how about this? I have a skill, old practice and customs. Yes. So, so you do this like old kind of, this old kind of gypsy dance. I'm not even sure where it would come from, but it's this maneuver where you're both kind of moving your hands and you're bestirring the effluvia, but there's a very specific dance. And the camera does this move where it slowly pulls away from you for a minute and we see the mud under your feet kind of glow in almost a pattern circle under your feet, but the image is, is shifting. It's, it's not static. It's like a compass that's trying to find magnetic north. And okay. the more that you're dancing this maneuver, the more it rotates and starts to find its way. And then all of a sudden it instantly locks into place and starts tracking. And you look up from finishing your dance and the line kind of sparkles almost, you know, like in Fable, the video game, in the distance, it kind of sparkles and illuminates this Chinese man, this very large, strong Chinese man who's walking across the street with his head looking back at the church and his eyes falling on a set of women uh, in the churchyard fighting over a pile of laundry. Interesting. I, I, I begin to follow the man uh, out of curiosity, and um, the pocket watch, more or less, is a, what do they call it, a pendulum? So kind of trying to track the, if as you said, the effluvium, mm -hmm. and trying to hold it behind him without, you know, causing too much attention to myself, so. Okay. Uh, so, so to end that scene, we, we see you pull out your pocket watch and the pocket watch instantly turns and faces one direction. And then as if pulled magnetically away from your body at about a kind of a 30 degree angle starts to kind of pull to lead you. And the second hand comes down and faces in the same direction and starts jumping up and down, chattering inside the watch as you're drawn to where the Chinaman disappears between buildings. And we follow you to the, the turn and the camera comes behind you. We look down the alley and he's gone. And it, he could not have made it to the other end without being there and you're standing there and all of a sudden your watch drops and comes back to center and you look down at your watch. No footprints, nothing. Nothing. And as we push into the camera, we pull out of a clock in the, in the living room of uh, Maggie Trumbauer's estate. And it is very late at night. It's probably about 10, 10.30 at night. And there's a, a fireplace that's rolling. Um, we are slowly getting toward winter. The winter will be coming in about a month and a half. So it's starting to get cold at night. Um, the crops are finally in, and that's why you've been doing a lot of, you're doing the last of your trading for the season before bundling up for the winter. So please describe the scene to us. Right, so uh, Maggie is sitting there at a table and she's got one of those uh, little uh, portable writing boxes, the, the letter uh, writing boxes. Um, and she has that next to her and it's open and it's got letters and paper and all in it. 
but it, it is also where she keeps uh, the ledger for the and all of the notes and all for uh, for the ranch. So she's just finished uh, doing some calculating uh, for just getting getting prepped for the winter. And so you see the the two or three uh, ledger books uh, sitting out to the one side of her, but she's put them aside um, because that that work is done for the day. And she's pulled out some uh, some letters, and she's uh, she's uh, writing to uh, her mother, who is in New York. And her father, her father too. Um, and she, she always kind of sends him a separate letter because they have a different, it's still a good relationship, but it's a, a different sort of relationship. But she's writing to her mother um, and she's got out a bunch of letters um, that need responses or need some sort of resolution. And she's, she's, opened, uh, she's opened a few in front of her um but right now she's uh she's writing finishing up writing to her mother all right there is a sound of a bang from the front of the house what would be well who would be in the house with you how big is the house it's a pretty good sized it's a pretty good sized property there's an equal sized house which would have been um uh, Rachel's property, and that's the uh, that's the summer house, if you will. Um, but because you're running both properties, how big is this property that you and your husband Matthew had? Well, the the house, um, I think like there's one uh, section of it. It is a rancher. It's one one level. Um, yeah. So uh, I think one section of it is uh is you know there there's a door that you could go through to to get to uh like the the apartment for uh Seth Beauregard and and some of the the people that generally come around and and help to work the ranch right. the <laughs> windows that's a, that's a separate section of the of the house and then um the part of the house that uh, that Maggie and Matthew were living in is, you know, it's a healthy size because this, this was the day where everybody kind of ate together. So it's a big open room with a, with just maybe three or four, uh, smaller rooms, like, like bedrooms and things like that. Um, but really the living happens in the huge room at the, at the center. Okay. The the windows toward the front of the house rattle and there is the banging of some heavy object against wood that resonates through the house and startles you. Would you please give me an adaptability roll? Adaptability. No, not adaptability. Give me a stability roll, please. Oh, stability. Miss, Miss Stable. Yeah, well, I rolled a one. Oh. So I am all sort of stable. So... You Please describe I, how you instantly react to this. How I instantly react to it is I, I 
with one hand, with my right hand, I shut the uh, shut the letterbox, um, and I get up and without missing a step, without hesitation, I grab uh, Matthew's rifle off of the off of the hook on the wall and open the door and find out what's going on. So you're a kind of across from the main door. So it would take you a, a moment to cross to the door. And so what we get is a, a series of shadows that quickly move across the, the sheer curtains that are, that are not all the way opened. And so you see these, these dark shapes um, almost, almost, you know, uh, six, seven feet high and maybe six feet high, not quite. Um, yeah, I'd say about five feet high. And, and they're, they're, they're these big, dark shapes that are moving outside. And you hear again this kind of crash. And, and as you pull the rifle up, um, the door next to you opens and, and it's Seth and he's just finishing loading a double barrel shotgun and bringing it up and looks at you and silently gives you this look of, uh, what in the heck's going on? There are sounds. So, so, um, so I, Seth and I, whenever th things go strange, um, and they do often, uh, so Seth and I kind of have this system that, uh, that we take the front door, I go left, he goes right. Uh, but before we do, uh, I am just going to grab a handful of, um, of ammunition. Um, and it's, it's all kind of it's not like you could use it all in the rifle, but it's all kind of random. Uh, you know, there may be sil silver bullets. There might be holy water, you know, bullets dipped in holy water. They, there might be any of this. I just stick my hand in the box, just grab, grab a bunch and just shove them in a, the pocket of the apron that I'm wearing. As you shove this ammunition down into your apron, there is the sound of screaming and, and this god-awful whining sound that just sh like shakes all the windows. And again, there's the, a bang, but this time it feels like the whole house got hit by a giant tree and the whole house rattles. And Seth raises his gun and let's see how stable... Seth is. Um, he 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 like tracks a movement past the window, but hesitates to fire. And there's again that and there's this horrible sound, and the and the windows shake. And then you get across the room to the door. Yes, are you heading toward the door? I am absolutely heading toward the door. All right. So why don't you give me a movement roll? Okay. Please. 62 out of 65. That's pretty sweet. Um, what happens is, as you get about halfway across the room, um, the side of the house with the window closest to the corner explodes inward, and the body of one of the horses from the Indian tr 
that just left comes flailing and falling into the room, knocking the door frame and the window in into your house. And the horse is covered in blood. Its saddle is missing. It has it had like hand painted prints on it. Um, there's patches of its hide that are are it looks like they've been burned by by flames it looks like like someone took a, a like torches and tortured this horse and as the room as the room explodes in on you you see outside are the other three horses two of them fighting the other two in this in this mad melee outside of your house um horse melee Horse melee, Hustos. and it's it's out in kind of the open area in front of the house. Yes, this horse has fallen into your living room, opening the 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 front of your house, you know, through the now uh, effective um, bay window doors that are not there. Um, opened out to your front porch, and there's now one on two a horse battle. Two horses are fighting another horse that looks like it's been scarred and burned and tortured like the other horse. So two horses that are not don't look like they're very badly wounded or hurt are, are viciously attacking this and trying to kill this other horse as the horse that's fallen into your living room is trying to get back on its feet and is like spurting up blood out of its mouth and, and maw is spurting up blood. Okay. Um, Seth, you take care of this one. You know what you have to do. Mm -hmm. It is injured beyond, beyond healing. And then I, I duck out, kind of keep my back to the wall as I duck around the door so that I'm outside now. Mm -hmm. And I come out to where there is a clear shot because the, the rifle that I have um, holds eight rounds. Mm -hmm. It's not a double barrel. It, it, it's a lever action, holds eight rounds. And um, I get outside and shoot one into the air to try and scare the horses off. Okay. We hear the gunshot, and we see the horses turn, and the camera cuts. We now come back to the sound of a gunshot, and we see a, a small carriage um, that is about maybe a half a mile from your homestead. And we see in that carriage, we see Dr. Jack Milton and in his hands, he has a letter um, and the letter as he's, as the camera comes into the carriage and looking down, we see that he's reading the letter. Um, and again, this is a cut before the gunshot. We hear the gunshot, it echoes, and we, we instantly look up from the letter, but the letter had the name Maggie Trumbauer, and you know we would like you to go back to the Trumbauer estate and investigate her husband's grisly murder two years ago. Um, please do a forensic re-examination of the crime scene and you know prepare yourself to uh, start your investigations on her property. And at the sound of the gunshot, we, we jump cut to you looking up from the letter in this carriage now. Okay, great. So, uh, so is the carriage just about to arrive? It is, it's, it's within, within dashing distance of the house. 
Fantastic. Crenshaw, sorry, let me just check. When, when are we planning to end? Well, after your scene. Okay, cool. Well, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, All right, close so, um, cool. So the carriage pulls up and um, and, and Jack gets out. I, I think he's, he, he will have brought some sort of crate of equipment with him which has been lashed to the top of the carriage. Yes. Um, yes. And what's the status of the house in again? Uh, something's just crashed through the window, right? I mean, what can I see? As you look up the just the last few feet of the driveway, you can see that there is a, a set of horses, Indian horses, that are attacking a third horse. The front of the house is completely missing in the shape of a cardboard horse cutout. And inside of the living room, there's a horse. And as you look up, there's a flash and the sound of a second gunshot as there's a quick insert shot of Seth standing back and firing a shotgun all down past camera. And we just kind of see a, just a little bit of splash of blood. And we cut back to you seeing the flash from inside the house and the silhouette of a horse laying down inside the house. Okay. Um, you have a pistol well, now. Yeah, well, I think he'd, he'd, he'd want to know whether anyone was hurt, right? So the first thing he'd do is, is run up the steps. And I'd, I'm assuming this isn't the kind of uh, place where people lock their doors, right? Oh, there, you don't need it. There's no door, buddy. It's there's no door. Anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. All right. So um, and would... and I'm I'm standing outside. So I'm I'm on the porch. Yes, you would see her on the porch. You would see the horses fighting. You know, like like twenty five feet from you, and they're making a god awful noise. I think he wants to know if anyone's been hurt. So the first thing he would do, I think, is is run. Um, up onto the porch, um, makes my excuses to you, sort of says, excuse me, as he goes past, and then and then runs in. <laughs> well, you're not uh, hurt, right? <laughs> no, no one's hurt. When you step in, you see a yeah. dead horse on the floor, a man bringing a shotgun up to your face. There's a man looking at you as you're standing in the opening, and he has now got a double-barreled shotgun pointed right at your face. And he looks around the shotgun over to you, Maggie, and he goes, do you know this fella? At the same time, remember, there are these horses that are literally killing each other in the driveway behind you. Um, no, I don't, but hold on anything you do, uh, because we got bigger problems here with these horses that we've got to get out of here. We got to get them calmed down or something. Oh, fine. Okay. So, I mean, well, no, he's, he's going to ask the guy, are you hurt? I'm fine, boy. Don't worry about me. Jesus, look behind you. All right. So, um, so he's going to reach in his doctor's bag, and can we can we stretch things a bit and um, uh, and assume he just has a massive dose of morphine, which we're going to say will act as a horse tranquilizer in this. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, so he, he'll he'll uh, run up to to one of the horses and stab it uh, stab it with the syringe. All right. Out of nowhere. Now, how tall are you, Jack? Uh, um, he's a tall guy. I think he's six okay. feet. All right, and and it built what? What would you call your strength? Let's fill your strength stat in. Yeah, I, I don't think he's the strongest guy. So, um, should we give him like a forty? Okay, I mean, 
I that's like my skinny art director, but sure, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say 45 would be pretty average, pretty average 45. strength. All right, yeah. cool. And then what? What is dexterity? How how deft is he? He's much more deft. So I so I think because he you know he sort of has. I mean, he's not a surgeon, right? But he, you know, he can do precise work. Okay. So um, yeah, what 60 something like that. All right, let's let's go with that. So why don't you give me a dexterity roll? Because you're basically doing the dance of horse death, which is what it will be called from now on in the history books, because you're basically sliding in to three giant full-sized horses that are in the middle of horse combat. And there are hoofs nice. a-flying. So please give me a dex roll. Literally just rolled 61. Oh, so this is part of your kit, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have a card under your kit, yes? A, a card? Uh, sure. Why don't you deal yourself a card into that slot? Oh, I see what you mean. Um, yeah, what, just selecting a random card? Random card. Here we go. Cool. <laughs> it's a king. <gasps> oh, excellent. This is what we call a heroic moment. And it couldn't okay. be better to close out our session. Please, Graham, I'm going to give you to the end credit. You have the rest of the scene to describe exactly how you finish and solve the, the battle of the horse death. Please take it away, sir. Cool. All right. Well, if we're going to heroic moment. So uh, what we'll do is um, uh, I go up behind the one of the horse with the syringe and um and and kind of slide the syringe in and for a moment he's about to look at um lash out but i i put my hand on its flank and just calm him for a moment and then and we're going a bit horse whisperer here right so um, <laughs> so um and and so it's just kind of slow um slowly kind of um calm down calm down and fall to sleep on the floor and, so and the one of the one there. of the angry horses one of the two not wounded horses slides under you as you step deftly around him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the other two horses, you know, uh, take a moment. But, you know, just because, uh, and this is a heroic moment, right? So um, just because um, but my character is incredibly calm, they sort of follow the calmness. And, and he reaches out, he takes their, I, I don't even know what, what you lead horses by, um, he, he kind of reaches under their chin and grabs whatever's there, and just um, uh, and just keeping them calm and keeping them talk to each other, um, leads them up to a post, ties them up, pats them on the flank, and walks back to the house. It would be a wonderful way to have a heroic moment play out that way. But the third horse, unfortunately, once you get the second horse that's not wounded to relax and you're finishing that syringe shot into him, the third horse, which has been attacked by these other two horses, is enraged and is psychotically unhinged at being attacked and suddenly turns toward you with all of its fury. Now, again, this is still your heroic moment, so you will suffer no damage, but please describe to me how you would take down this insanely diseased, maniacal, um, uh, insane horse. Hmm. Well, should we make this the first time he uses his revolver? Uh, it might is, be. 
because because he hasn't used it yet. So I, I think this is this is a good time. So he, um, so there's a moment where he um, he sort of stares at the horse and uh, and you know he knows that actually this is a life or death situation. If there's ever a time yes. as a doctor that he has to use a revolver, and there's other people about as well. You know, now's the time. So he pulls this thing pulls this thing out, um, and as he's been taught, uh, uh, loads it, cocks it. Um, points it and because he's not it, thinking about his hand it starts to charge you as you pull the gun out so the camera shot is behind you and we see this horse drop and just with like snorting blood out of its nose starts to rush you with this insane look in its eyes yeah and as long as it, you know he's not thinking about it right so uh, if he was he'd be nervous but he's not and so at, you know at the perfect moment he, he lets the bullet go and the um and it shoots the horse directly into the eye, and the horse just kind of slithers to the ground just in front of them. <laughs> exactly. It just literally comes to a sliding stop, yeah. and the camera follows it just to the edge of your boot heel. And the camera pans up, and we see Seth look at you, and he drops the sh uncocks the shotgun and looks at you and goes, Well, stranger, welcome to the Trumbauer farm. And we cut the black. Cool. Oh, that was a fantastic way to end that. That was a fantastic <laughs> way to end it. That was amazing, Graham. Nice job. All right, I'm going to stop the recording. Before I do, I just want to say thank you, everyone, for coming to the first two parts of hopefully a four-part series of Crunch Jupiter Network's The Weird and Wild West 1870. Thank you again, and we'll see you next time.